On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and welcome to Advanced Bracket Management Planning Part 1. We are now in a four-dimensional tax system, just rate-wise, and a fifth dimension being the scale-back of itemized deductions and exemptions, commonly called PEP and P's. On the federal side, we have seven different individual income tax rates for individuals and for married couples, and three different capital gains rates. The capital gains rates being 0, 15, and 20%. Additionally, we now have a net investment income tax, which is going to apply a 3.8% tax when your modified adjusted gross income exceeds $250,000, your investments will now be taxed at an extra 3.8%. So this five-dimensional tax system we're in requires a quantum leap in thinking, a major paradigm shift of how we're going to do tax planning. Because every time a client asks you a question, you need to walk around that question from each dimension of our tax system. So basically, the key to bracket management plan is going to be to, if your clients need cash flow, where they're in the 33, 35, 39.6% rate, 20% capital gains, and they're into the 3.8% surtax, the question is, can from age 45 till 65, can we structure life insurance um, as a way to get cash later? Because life insurance grows tax-free. You can borrow against it. You can, re um, you can recover your basis without having to pay tax. Can we set up a fairly healthy municipal bond portfolio? Can we get dollars into a Roth IRA? Can we use life insurance, real estate, oil and gas to give us even additional tax shelter? Now, the key to bracket management in your early years will be to defer as much as possible. The problem is if we defer too much, we end up um, with maybe taking deductions at 33% that will later be taxed at 39%. We call that negative bracket arbitrage, okay, negative bracket arbitrage. What we're looking for is positive bracket arbitrage. You deduct something at 39.6, but later you're only taxed at 28 or 25 or even 15%. Generally, in the perfect world, we would try to fill up our lower brackets with capital gains at the beginning of our retirement because those capital gains will be taxed at zero. For example, um, one of my partners, Steve Biggie, represents dozens and dozens, probably well over 100 of Procter & Gamble employees, typically within the first five years after they retire, what, what transpires is they will sell off Procter & Gamble stock and they will hardly pay any federal tax at all. Many of them will pay no federal tax because up until they're in the 25% bracket, there's a 0% capital gains rate. So it's very important to understand that. Now, one of the most powerful charts that I have out on my website is a is a chart which has seven baskets or seven buckets and on the far left we have interest income and on the far right we have Roth IRAs um, and insurance and what we're looking for in the perfect world your clients would work hard from you know basically age 40 when they realize they're going to have a fair amount of financial success to age 66 or 67 when they retire uh, to try to position some wealth in Roth IRAs some wealth in insurance um, some wealth in real estate where you'll pick up depreciation, um, some wealth in oil and gas where you're going to be able to benefit from depletion. These strategies can be very complementary to the overall investment plan. And with these higher rates, what's going to change, and it's going to take some time, but there will be a slow title-like shift, basically where for wealthier people, they move away from 
very heavily taxed tax asset classes like interest income and ordinary dividends to item to areas like insurance, tax deferred annuities, real estate, oil and gas, uh, Roth IRAs, where the tax burden will be less. Okay, so they're going to move to where the tax burden will be less. Um, now we have to watch what happens with the tax system um, because things can change. But that's where we are right now. Now, so that chart it's called tax asset classes. It's on my website. You're more than welcome to print that. Advanced topics um, we're going to touch on. Um, the topics that work are, the ideas that work are charitable remainder trust to smooth out income, a charitable lead trust to basically optimize the value of your charitable deductions, non-qualified tax-deferred annuities to smooth out income from, say, age 50 to age 65, to, in essence, if you will, to leapfrog over your higher income years and then take the money out once you retire. I will also talk about Section 453 installment sales. Uh, there's a couple of techniques there that work very, very well. Um, when we get to Part 2 on the advanced topics, we'll talk about borrowing from life insurance policies and how life insurance is so efficacious for someone in a high tax bracket. We'll talk about income shifting. Uh, we'll talk about retirement plans and how to position those. One area where you can't, we simply cannot spend enough time is on Roth conversions. Um, we're in the process of updating our new a our AICPA book, the one we wrote in summer of 1997. I think this is the third or fourth update, but every time the book gets thicker and it gets more complex. And with the five dimensions to our tax system, um, Roth IRAs are even more important than ever. Um, oil and gas investments, clearly with America becoming more energy independent, there are more opportunities here at home to invest in oil and gas, and there are substantial tax advantages to doing that, which we'll talk about. Now, the 3.8% Medicare surtax, it suffices to say that we, we really need to understand that. And effective January 1st, 2013, a new 3.8% Medicare surtax applies to all taxpayers' net investment income exceeding a certain threshold amount. Uh, for individuals, the surtax equals 3.8% times the lesser of net investment income or the amount by which modified adjusted gross income exceeds a threshold amount. Threshold amounts are 250 for a married couple, 200 for a single person, $11,950 for an estate or trust. Now, where it really gets ugly here is with the estates and trusts because we're going to have to do a lot more planning to time distributions from estates and trusts. Now, charitable remainder trust. Basically, a charitable remainder trust is going to be used to smooth out income. You have somebody that's selling a very large stock position. They do not want to pay tax at 23.8%. They're charitably inclined. This technique can work very efficiently for them. The purpose of this strategy, when you relate it to the net investment income tax or to the 5% incremental capital gains tax, is to harbor net investment income in a tax-exempt environment while at the same time leveling income over a longer period of time. So I basically want that large gain in the charitable trust where it's not going to be taxed, and then... I want to take it out of the charitable trust over time to smooth out my income. Now, in the typical charitable remainder trust, your client would drop property, you would drop property into a charitable remainder trust established under the provisions of Section 664 and the regulations, and your client would receive distributions for their life, and at their death, then the, the difference will pass to charity. Okay, What's left in that trust will pass to charity. It used to be that someone didn't need a charitable inclination to pull these transactions off. I think today you still need some charitable inclination. I wouldn't do this for someone just on the math, 
Um, but if you have somebody that's sharing with client, this is a very, very powerful technique. We think there are three popular varieties of charitable trust today. One, the substantial sale charitable trust, where we're selling something and we want to mitigate our taxes. Two, the retirement CRT, where actually someone in their early 50s or late 40s would begin putting, say, $100,000 a year into a charitable trust, um, take some charitable deduction for that, usually about 10 to 15% of what you put in, actuarially you receive a deduction for, and then build up additional wealth in that charitable trust. So this can be you know, a very powerful strategy. Charitable ranger trust in the right circumstances can also be used for asset protection planning. If I set up a charitable remainder trust for my wife, um, I, have, I have moved that property out of my estate, and even though she's going to receive distributions over time, the principle of that is protected from the claims of her creditors. Now, not, not what she receives out, but the, the pure principle. Now, uh, two types of charitable remainder trusts. There is a charitable remainder annuity trust where the beneficiaries receive a stated amount of initial trust assets each year. So an annuity trust would give you, for example, an annuity of $100,000 a year. Most of the time, our clients are setting up something called a unit trust where the beneficiaries receive a stated percentage of the trust assets, but that's recalculated annually. So that stated percentage would be recalculated annually. Very important to understand these two types of trusts and how they're going to work. 90% of the time, we set up charitable remainder unit trusts. And the reason we set up the unit trust is very, very simple. We want to be able to put more property in the trust later. We also, if the market goes down in value, we want to be able to flex those payments so the charitable trust doesn't burn out. Now, the other technique which is going to be very powerful in the world of tax planning going forward will be the charitable lead trust. A charitable lead trust is the opposite of a charitable remainder trust, and it's a split interest trust consisting of an income interest and a remainder interest. During the term of the trust, the income interest is paid out to a named charity, let's say Children's Hospital. At the end of the trust term, the remainder, whatever is left in the trust, is paid to non-charitable beneficiaries, for example, the children of the donor or a trust for the children of the donor. Why someone would do a charitable lead trust? Oftentimes, people will do charitable lead trusts in the year they have a major gain because they can actually get a very large charitable deduction up front. And also, the charitable lead trust, the non-grantor charitable lead trust, can be used to reduce your exposure to the net investment income tax. The reason for that is because you are able to take the deduction for the charitable lead trust under Section 642C, that's where the charitable deduction exists, compared to Section 170 on your 1040, you're saying, Bob, so what? Well, the so what is the rules are different. In the world of the charitable lead trust, you receive an above-the-line deduction for what goes to charity. That means you're de this actually will reduce your exposure to the net investment income tax. So it's going to reduce your exposure to the net investment income tax, which is very critical. Okay, That's very critical for us to understand. Now, uh, there are two main types of charitable lead trusts, an annuity trust and a unit trust. No one, rarely does anyone use a charitable lead unit trust. Almost everything is done by the unit trust because that gives you your better transfer tax result. We've covered part one of advanced planning for bracket management. We'll be back in a moment with part two. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler discussing advanced bracket management. Thank you for joining us today.